You're listening to the Missouri Realtors Podcast. Join us as we deliver an in-depth analysis of industry news while speaking with industry experts on their successes and failures. Along the way, we'll also share strategies and practices to help you become a more successful realtor. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Missouri Realtor Podcast. We have an amazing guest for you today. We are going to be diving into the world of commercial real estate. So, Justin, introduce yourself for everyone. Hello, I am Justin Farrell. I'm at the Lake of the Ozarks with the Bagnell Dam Association of Realtors, proud member of the Missouri Realtors, and I am what you might call the resumercial agent combining residential and commercial love it so yeah so tell like explain that what does resumercial even mean well it's a good concept and most of us as realtors are in some way shape or form a resumercial agent and so a resumercial agent simply means that you are not an expert in one particular field you do both residential and commercial Obviously, you know, like my favorite saying, I think I forget who said it, the riches are in the niches, so to speak. So, you know, people that are in large markets such as uh, the St. Louis, Kansas City, Springfield, they're able to focus solely on one particular, either residential or commercial, because there's a substantial more amount of business or deals done. But at the Lake of the Ozarks, we have to kind of do the hybrid of the resumercial. And what does that really mean? Well, if you have, if you're a residential agent and you've ever represented somebody on a duplex or a fourplex or looking to buy a building to put their business in, that is practicing commercial real estate. Thus, you're a resumercial agent. Love it. So <clears throat> talk to me a little bit about like the commercial real estate field is pretty broad. So what would you say are the the main aspects of somebody who did practice commercial? If they were, whether they're residential or strictly commercial, what, what areas would they practice? So a lot of times commercial practitioners will, and it's easy, you know, if you're a residential agent trying to figure out the area of expertise, like residential, if you solely focused on condos or you solely focused only on single family, there are a lot of commercial practitioners in this state and across the country where all they focus on is industrial buildings only. I only focus on industrial buildings. One of my mentors and very good friends, Jim Rosen out of St. Louis, who has a lot to do with the CCIM, which we could talk about in a few minutes, but he focuses simply on tenant representation in the retail field, whether it be the landlord or the or the leasor or the leasee. And so you could see, and he's a phenomenal business person with the commercial real estate, but he really focuses on those riches or in the niches, and he just focuses on the retail aspect. So you've got retail, industrial, residential commercial, which focuses on apartment buildings, duplexes, things of that nature. Uh, what am I forgetting? And then you've got business and real estate. Got it. So like so, office space, um, if somebody were looking to open an auto body shop, um, yes, beauty shop, absolutely. things like that. Absolutely. And I always tell everybody when it comes to commercial real estate, you've got two different particular uh, buyers that you're going to work with. It's either A, a user 
which would be like a person buying a house, they're going to use that. Or B, it's an investor, which is more along the lines of the retail buyer or the multifamily buyer. They're never actually going to use it. They're simply trading cash up front for a hypothesized set of cash flows over the time that they'll hold the asset. Got it. Good. So as someone who's practicing both residential and commercial, what would you say are the biggest differences between the two? The biggest difference is, okay, so, and I hope I don't offend anybody, but the biggest difference is the emotional aspect. When you're representing somebody, and we all saw it during COVID, the buyers that were just screaming and crying because they couldn't get a house, you know, you can have in a residential deal where you find everything that they want. This meets all your criteria. It's got the size of the house, the bedrooms, the view, the location, And they can just say, you know, it just doesn't feel right. Mm -hmm. And I think we've all dealt with that in the residential side. But on the commercial side, there is no emotions. There is no feeling. It's these are the set parameters that I have for the deal I want to do. And if you can find those, I will execute the deal. And if not, then you didn't listen to me and you didn't properly do what I wanted you to do. So commercial there is no emotion it's simplistically what meets the user or investor's need whereas the residential you're dealing with so many emotions husband wife uh children none of the above single you know brand new buyer we all know that right so it becomes numbers on a spreadsheet uh criteria checklist and if it meets all if it checks all the boxes we're ready to move forward correct no emotional it just doesn't feel right. What would you say are the skill set differences that you need to have when practicing commercial? Well, the skill set differences, the biggest thing is going to be being comfortable and familiar with spreadsheets and numbers, which I think a lot of realtors are in general when it comes to residential and commercial. But you have to know your Uh, what is the, it's there. You have to know your formulas. You have to know the lingo as well. I mean, we get into a lot of things about cash on cash, ROI, cap rates, and those that have never practiced commercial, it just flies over their head. And they're like, I don't even know what you're talking about. So, you know, knowing that lingo, you know, prime example in residential real estate, we always say, Hey, let me see the MLS sheet. Whereas in commercial, it's not called a, an MLS sheet. It's called an OM or offering memorandum. And so commercial has an entirely different lingo, an entirely different way of going about it and than residential. So if you're going to get in that field, you really need to start by trying to learn the terms and lingo of what's going on and then dive into learning how to put the numbers together. Yeah. So totally different language. It would be like um, us going to live for a month in another country and not knowing that language, it's very hard to, um, you know, go go to the grocery store and ask for something yeah. if you don't know how to ask that. So I can definitely see how practicing or or even dabbling in the commercial space without knowing that language sets you up for having a lot of liability and, and possible malpractice. Yes. And not only that, but if you're if you're somebody that is not familiar with all of these things in the commercial side, you're just kind of dabbling in it and you call a big player who is only doing commercial, you risk uh, being looked down upon. You know, I mean, and you could drastically affect the deal for your client. 
You know, I mean, we've all been there. If you don't know the market in the area that you're working, you can very, very highly probability of ruining it for your client. And the worst thing is they won't know that until years down the road when it comes time to dispose of that asset and go to somewhere else, sell their house and upgrade. If they overpaid and you didn't properly show them the numbers and advise them on that, and now they're underwater, you got serious issues. So right. same thing in commercial. If you don't know that, especially if somebody's looking at, uh, you know, they're looking at a, an apartment building and you say, hey, this is a great apartment building. It meets all your criteria, blah, blah, blah. And you sell them at a cap rate that it shouldn't have been sold at and they go to dispose of it. You could be in some big trouble. Right. And I feel like there's two paths to that. You either invest in yourself and your education to learn how to be proficient and masterful at that segment of real estate, or you refer the business to someone who is already proficient and still be able to have a referral fee for your efforts. I agree with that wholeheartedly. The biggest problem is, you know, uh, there's a lot of money in commercial real estate as a practitioner. And unfortunately, I say ego usually gets in the way or greed because somebody says, well, it's real estate. I sell real estate, so I will be able to handle this deal. And there's a lot of money in this deal. I'd like to be able to do that. And that's you got to separate yourself. If you're not 100 percent proficient in that and you're not educated and you're not working towards that education, please, God, refer it out to somebody. You'll make a lot more friends that way and advocates for your business. Well, and peace of mind of knowing that your client was represented in the best way possible and that you're not, you know, looking over your shoulder saying, oh, man, am I going to be sued because I didn't do what I was supposed to do? Yes. Or God forbid, you don't even know that you are going to get sued because you don't (laughs) know what you're doing. True. All right. Well, off of that topic, what is your favorite part of commercial real estate? Uh, My favorite part of commercial real estate is what's interesting is so. One thing that I didn't understand until I started getting educated is rooftop or commercial follows rooftops. And so what that means is there's no not going to be any commercial activity in a certain area until there's a number of households and people in that certain area to really rely upon that commercial to be in there, such as gas stations, grocery stores. So I love the aspect of watching communities grow and being able to be a part of that and bring something to said community that is a need and a want. You know, uh, everybody loves to go to nice restaurants. If I'm able to be a part of bringing a new restaurant into a into a residential area that everybody's going to enjoy, I get a lot of joy out of that. And the opportunity not only to do that for the community, but then to be able to help people grow their portfolios. One of my greatest things that I've absolutely loved doing is actually being able to talk to residential buyers, especially the younger ones, because we all Monday morning quarterback it. And I think you would probably agree the first place I should have bought should have been an income producing asset when I was young and I didn't have any liabilities and I hate to call children and a spouse or whatever, (laughs) a liability, but they they are. And you can't move into a duplex if you're raising a family. Well, you can, but you're generally not going to use that. You're going to. So being able to take younger people, I've got a young guy that I'm working with now who wants to buy a little house on an acreage. And I said, you know, 
if I was you, I would really try to buy a duplex or a fourplex and get those tenants paying your mortgage, building that equity in for you. And then after you've built up another amount of money for a down payment to buy a house, then you can move out, buy a house. And not only are these people paying for your equity and cash flowing, but they're also help to offset your mortgage on your actual real house that you're living in. So being able to help users out to find what they truly want and bring something new into the community I love, being able to talk to uh, people that are considering the residential, but then say, oh, maybe I should actually build my family wealth in my portfolio and being able to see them grow. And then them coming back to me five, 10 years later and going, God, I, I can't thank you enough for what you talked me into. That was a really smart investment idea. Those are my favorite things. And because you've been down the path before, you can light up the path for people behind you. So I, I think that's one of the cool things that we get to do with our clients if we if we choose to. Like that, that's a choice that we make as practitioners is, am I willing to share this gift with other people in the wealth building opportunities? And, and it's hard to explain to someone something that you either don't have knowledge of. I mean, like I, I don't think I would just go invest in an office space unless I had somebody who I could turn to as as almost like, how do, I, how do I play this game of wealth chess? I need to go find a chess master and let them show me what to do so I am not putting my family's wealth on the line for speculation or because I think I might want to try that. That's great. And one of the things that you know you bring up is that chess game or that unknown that so many people have. I, I, I'm not comfortable. This does not fit the normal American mold of, re of real estate. I should buy a house, which everybody loves to own a house. But at the same time, if you think about it truly, a house is a liability, in my opinion. Most people consider it an asset. And for most American families, it is the largest asset that they are ever going to buy. But let me ask you something. Does a house cash flow or does it suck money out of your pocket? Yeah, you're paying for it. And, and nobody house, else is paying it for you. Correct. And we all believed before the Great Recession that real estate always goes up in value. But then we saw the Great Recession and how many people lost their shirts because they were underwater with a house that does not produce any income or cash. We're all always speculating that one to two percent appreciation year over year on our house. Thus, I have all this equity. Thus, it's a great wealth building tool. But it's actually really not, in my opinion, it's only my opinion, because literally you are shelling money out. Even if you don't have a mortgage on it, you're still shelling out money every single year or month for electricity, gas, you know, insurance, all these different things. Whereas if you buy a duplex, a fourplex or something of that nature that you don't live in and you rent, yes, you're shelling out that money but you should be returning receiving money from your tenants that covers that and puts and an additional some. capital in your pocket. Right. So asset versus liability, when you're playing that game, it's really good to have a smart practitioner that's educated in this and they can tell you, here's your expenses, here's the income, this is giving you a return on your investment of X number of dollars year over year, which if you hold it for 10 years and then sell it, that will give you an ROA of this amount of money and then everybody's happy. Right. And I mean, let's chase that rabbit hole a little bit. So if you were advising someone who didn't own a home at all, they were renting, what's mm -hmm. their first step in this chess game? 
first step in the chess game is the exact same thing as a residential buyer is you got to talk to a bank and figure out what your options are. How much money do I need down? What's the amortization term? What is, and because residential and commercial have two completely loan opportunities, two completely different loan deals. Yep. So with residential, there are all these wonderful government programs to assist you with getting into a house with the least amount of money down. However, with commercial, 95% of the time, you're going to have to put a minimum of 20% down. So if right. you're buying a $200,000 house, you're going to have to put $40,000 de $40, down. And then on top of that, you're going to have to pay your closing costs. And what's funny is in your residential purchase, the taxes and the insurance, and if you have escrows uh, for uh, assessment fees, those are usually all put in your escrow. So you don't have any of that to worry about. Whereas with a commercial loan, it's normally done in-house and it's a five-year loan. And then it, you have to pay the whole thing off or refinance it. And they don't collect escrows for insurance taxes or any other expenses that you're going to have. So if you buy a fourplex and it's got a $2,500 a year tax liability to the you know local government, you got to be prepared. Be prepared, at, yeah. At Christmas time, to write <laughs> that check. So there's a lot more. There's a lot more planning and everything else. So again, the first thing back to your original question is: you have to talk to a bank and figure out what can I truly afford. What's my debt to income? Well, how much am I going to need down? What are my different avenues for acquiring this? And then after that, the second thing is you need to talk to a commercial practitioner and take the information that you have from the lender. And say, okay, now what fits the mold of that acquisition price? And is that an opportunity that you can find a go, no-go situation to buy something? Right, right. Um, so the, there are always steps in the process to, to make sure that you're making the best decision for, for people's, you know, life and wealth and, and their future. And for some people, it may make sense for them to rent their personal home, but buy investment property. And there may be times where people want to have their, their primary residence that um, is, is the duplex, fourplex, multifamily. Um, so there's, there's so many avenues with that. That's why I love. Well, and, and not only that, but you bring up a very interesting scenario because commercial across the spectrum has altered or changed and it's because of the technology that we have today. So now you can take a residential liability, as I call it, me probably being the only person I know of that calls a house a liability. But now you can utilize Airbnb and VRBO. And actually, not only are you hopefully gaining the appreciation, but then you also gain cash flow and you also gain the opportunity that I'm living here. And so yep. you can essentially have a bed and breakfast in any type of house with the Airbnb and VRBO. We've seen a ton of people because we're a tertiary market, meaning a secondary market. And so we see a ton of people come down here for investments and they buy condos and turn them into VRBOs. Now, there's a lot of residential agents that are representing those people. And I can't tell you whether or not they are or are not proficient with the numbers. But you, if you're buying a condo and doing it for investment purposes only, you better make sure you know your numbers on this because how many days can I rent it out, which down here at the lake, you're not going to be able to rent it out lock, stock, and barrel 365 oh, okay. days. Yeah. It's a very seasonal market. 
So what are my rental rates that I can charge? How many nights must I make it? Uh, you know, you do I require two night minimum, three night minimum, which we advise most people, hey, three night minimum, so you can get the biggest bang out of your buck. You know, and then what are my taxes? What are my assessment fees? If I've got debt, what is my debt load that I've got to pay every single year? And after I expend all of that, what is my return on investment? And I always tell people, if you think the return on investment is the total purchase price, we really need to go on an education tour. So return on investment is not the total purchase price. So if you're listening to this and you think that that is what it is, please give me a call. Call Andrea. I know you're very proficient in this stuff or find somebody that's educated so you can start learning the process or pulling the wool from over your eyes. Yeah. That's, I mean, there's so much to love about the industry that we're in and the opportunities that we can open people up to. Um, so yeah. investing in real estate, investing in commercial, um, even building wealth through just, I mean, I, I know you call it a liability, but it's still an investment. I'd much rather pay my own piggy bank of my mortgage than pay a landlord's piggy bank of their whatever they have. So <laughs> correct. And if the appreciation continues, or even if it doesn't appreciate, it just still stays the same. I mean, you have been you've been forced into a savings account. And I think that is a wonderful thing. I'm absolutely in favor of home ownership, obviously. And as long as all (laughs) things work out per the curve, it will be the greatest financial investment you make. Totally. So what advice would you give um, either someone starting in real estate or somebody who's been in residential real estate for a while who is fascinated by commercial and wants to learn more and wants to break into that? industry. So the first comment I will make is the comment that we all make to everybody that's a new agent is talk to your broker first. Always go to your broker first. But the number one tool that I learned, and I'll never forget, and I'm going to name drop here. uh, There was a phenomenal gentleman who we lost in January named James Elcock. And James Elcock was a huge mentor of mine. And I think about 12 years ago, he hosted at Ameristar Casino when we had the state meeting there, he hosted a commercial day meeting. And I was like, oh, I want to get into commercial. So I went to that and I learned that I didn't know a thing, (laughs) not a thing. Matter of fact, they were talking over my head and I was trying to sneak out the back door. But what was great is our past president, Nate Johnson, was kind enough to look over and see my face of bewilderment and say, hey, if you don't understand what's going on, you need to look into the CCIM education. And it was the greatest advice I'd ever received. And I don't think I'll ever be able to thank him enough for leading me down that rabbit hole. And the CCIM stands for Certified Commercial Investment Member. And I tell everybody, I don't care if you don't want to get into commercial real estate. If you're going to do duplex, fourplex, apartment buildings of any kind, the first class in CCIM should be a requirement. In my opinion, NAR should make it a requirement for all of us to take because it will give you the spreadsheets, tools, and knowledge to at least be able to run the numbers for your clients within five to 10 minutes and properly advise them based on numbers only. But the other big thing that it does is it does start to remove the wool from over your eyes and you start to see the bigger picture or you start to go down the rabbit hole and you could take that as far as you want. But the CCIM education is hands down 
the greatest thing you could ever give yourself if, if you want to start getting into commercial. It's not cheap. Uh, I think it's, it's probably close to $2,000 for the first class. And you usually have to travel to a major metropolitan area. I took all of mine in St. Louis because they offered them. And so I literally had to spend an entire week in a hotel room away from my family, plus room and board and the cost of the class. But I can't tell you how great it was. That sacrifice at that time meant everything for my business today. And I would say that that education helped you even in your residential practice. Absolutely. There have been, especially in today's time with the Airbnb and VRBOs and all of that stuff, it's really helped me out. And, you know, not just the numbers, like, you know, there's a lot of people that get afraid of numbers and, you know, they just start eyes glossing over. Don't let that really scare you because CCIM does not focus on how to make the calculation. They don't really care about you getting out the 10B2 calculator and knowing, hey, I need this number and this number, and then I got to do this times this divided by this solve for why. No, no, no. They give you the Excel spreadsheets, but they don't care about how to find that number. They care about what does that number mean? And that's, that's what we care about is what does that information mean? And how can we pass that along to our clients to really assist them in the right things? And then you also learn about, you know, one, three, five mile radius. And, uh, and there's a lot of things that I've learned in commercial that's really helped my residential business, such as knowing that commercial follows rooftops. And so people will go into a certain area and say, there's nothing around here. What's going on? And I can look at that and say, well, based on the growth year over year of this area, it's starting to meet performance modules for these companies. And if you want to buy in here and expect it to grow, you can expect these things hypothetically to happen. One of my favorite things to watch happen, you know what? One of the greatest things to change an area is a new school. Yeah. How many times have you seen a new, like a school system decides we're going to put a new elementary and we're going to buy this farm and build it right there. And you're like, what the heck? There's nothing there. But once that school goes there, all of a sudden houses start popping up and then the gas stations. And then, and I mean, uh, St. Charles and O'Fallon are all great examples of that. They put schools there and next thing you know, it just, it, it's amazing. And so, yes, commercial education has really helped out with the residential. We talked a little bit about, um, you know, if you went up against a seasoned commercial veteran that you would be looked down upon, how important would you say is it that you have mentors or, or um, guidance in that commercial space and be known as a commercial player? Uh, I 100% agree with you, but I don't think it's just commercial practitioners. I mean, how much easier is it to do a residential deal with another agent that you guys at least have a good relationship For and sure. you can separate egos from the deal and focus on those that matter, which are the clients. So same thing in commercial. If you get to know those other commercial practitioners and the big thing that's helped me is that CCIM education, because most of the time I don't, I'm only a candidate. I don't hold the designation just so we're clear. So I don't want that to come off. Like I am a true CCIM. I have not fulfilled all the obligations, but because of the education and knowledge I've got, I can speak to 
those that only focus on commercial and be able to understand most of the lingo that they're throwing out and rebuttal or respond. And because of that, they will have more respect for me than somebody that goes, uh, I don't know. Can you send me that form? <laughs> yes. You know, you can't, if you call a commercial practitioner and you say, Hey, can you send me the, the MLS sheet on that? They'll just kind of laugh at you. But if you yeah. call them up and you say, hey, can you send me the OM? They'll be like, yeah, no problem. What's your email address? And then all of a sudden you have established a connection that, hey, I'm, I'm not somebody that doesn't know what the heck I'm doing. I actually know some of the lingo. And it really, really substantially helps you out. Plus, I wanted to, you know, I tell everybody about the, the CCIM class. Not only was it so great to uh, get the knowledge I tell everybody, don't do it online, go to class. When I was in class, I had a guy that has become a friend of mine, Carl Day. He manages a family's portfolio of commercial real estate in St. Louis. And now he's a guy that I can call up and talk to about deals. Jim Rosen, I got to meet him. I could talk to him about deals. I had the regional director of the Smoothie King in my class, who's somebody now I can call and say, hey, I got a spot that I think you should go. And he'll actually talk to me schnooks had data analysts that were in that class that i've been able to talk to so i mean just the doors start opening and the connections and you know it's not about what you know it's about who you know for sure that's that's awesome stuff it it is a a different world of real estate that you you need to walk into it eyes wide open <laughs> head on a swivel, like even what you're talking about is, is the speculative of what's happening in areas. If if you're not aware that those things affect the, the commercial deal, get involved. Like what what EDC do you need to be part of and all of that stuff? I, it's fascinating. Yeah, it's really cool. And you know what? I also tell everybody, you know, what's the biggest thing that you're seeing for investment in your area? What would you say is the biggest, cheapest investment that people are starting to make at this time or over the last two years? I see a lot of uh, storage space popping up. <laughs> Bingo. <laughs> 110%. We're seeing storage units everywhere, which is kind yeah. of funny because, number one, we as Americans have accumulated so much crap that we have to find other places to pay for just to store our crap that we don't even look at. Yeah. But number number two, should I invest in that? That's the question. Should I invest in that? And because everybody else is. So what do those numbers look like? What does that investment look like? And right. you really need a But I don't think you person. can make that decision right now. It takes the 10,000 hours that went before what happened today of running numbers. And if you're running numbers on a piece of property, whether it's residential or commercial, if you're doing numbers on properties every single day, you become very proficient at being able to have your head up and on a swivel that when a great deal comes around, you've done so much practice ahead of time that you know if that's a steal. You know if you should invest in that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the other biggest thing is, you know, we talk about, well, do we need a new one? Do we need a new one? And when you in residential real estate, do we need another house built? Well, are there buyers out there trying to buy houses? And what are their price ranges? And as residential agents, we're able to run the numbers directly through the MLS to know if we need more houses. In the commercial realm, we call it more an absorption rate. Right. What is the absorption of what is currently out there? And is there a gap? You know, And that gap represents whether or not you should build or acquire something that's already there. 
So very interesting information. Again, the education you need to get is substantial, but it's worth every second and every penny. I love it. We could probably talk about this for hours, but um, we're, we're out of time for today. So Justin, thank you uh, so much for joining us on the show today. This has been awesome. Um, you're always able to reach out to Justin if you if you have questions. Um, he had a lot of mentors and I'm sure he's willing to pay it forward to other people. Absolutely. That's our job in life. Pay it forward. Knowledge in your brain does nobody any good. And I find it very selfish if you keep that to yourself. Yeah, we get to leave a legacy. Um, we're, we're already leaving a legacy. We get to choose the one we leave. So That's right. I really appreciate you taking the time and allowing me to be on the podcast. And I love your presidency so far. You're doing an amazing job. Thank you. Thank you. Well, thank you guys for joining us today. And we'll see you on the next episode. 